The following is a pre-recorded program. Oh, good evening. It's Thursday night. My name is Tom Kearney. I'm here every night, Monday through Friday from 9 until 10 with a little bit of live and in real-time radio. And the truth is, uh, I'm just uh, just warm enough in here. And I remember being chilly outside that I sort of want to curl up with this microphone. I wish I could just lean on it and talk, but I can't do that. And uh, John Sauter, who is our producer, probably wouldn't let me get away with that anyway. Several years ago, along with the regular programming, uh, which usually amounts to, we do a lot of interviews. We've talked to to Tom Hanchett about uh, his book about Charlotte this week. And uh, Ed Morris was here Tuesday night, and we ran over a little bit of the history and life of Wake Forest College slash university. And last night, our computer guys, Tim and Steve, were here. back there somewhere five or eight years ago. It was about the time that the BP rig blew up in the uh, Gulf of Mexico because I got to trying to follow through all the different oil companies and all the ones that had been absorbed by bigger companies. BP, I think, had bought Amoco and that kind of thing. And a lot of stuff that we remembered wasn't there anymore. And then a member of our, uh, uh, I think my program director, he said, Tom, you know, you ought to do something sometime about uh, with a little bit of reflection, a little bit of nostalgia, uh, for instance. Uh, he mentioned the telephone, and I, I I remember when I first used the telephone, I lived at my grandfather's house, which meant I was less than eight years old, and when you picked it up, there was no dial on it. You picked it up, and the operator said, number, please, and you told her what number you wanted, and the number of our phone was 1752-R, and we were on a party line. And that's certainly different from the smartphones that people deal with today. And and there might be some people like me that might be nostalgic for the the that phone or the one that dialed in between or or some per, per, permutation of uh, something that that has occurred. And so, over time, we've had uh, a number of programs uh, reflecting on nostalgia. It's kind of a reason for an open phone night and and to ask you to think about your life and look back at something that. You may have uh, wanted to retain and in some cases forget. Uh, we've done it about hamburgers and, and drive-ins and supermarkets and uh, lots of other things, dime stores, lots of other things. Tonight, I'd like for you to join me, and it, this only works if you do join me and dial us up. And the number's 919, by the way. Just remember, start off with the area code and then 860-9783. 9783, if you have letters on your telephone, works out to be... WPTF. So you dial nine one nine and then eight six zero WPTF, and you get us. And John Sauter will put you on hold, and we'll talk to you as soon as possible. What I would like to talk about is something that is related in one way or another to the automobile culture. I'm trying to look for things that are universal, and one of the things that is certainly universal in America, along with watching television and uh, listening to the radio is having an automobile. We have become, particularly since World War II, an automobile civilization. Uh, but it has changed somewhat, and and that's what I was reflecting on this afternoon when I thought, well, that's what we can do tonight. So I want you to join us, and don't be bashful. There should be something in here that almost anybody could join in on. First of all, uh, Automobiles. When did you get your first automobile? How did you get it? How did you learn to drive? And if you if you live uh, somewhere, 
can you remember the automobile dealers' names? I know I'm from Goldsboro, and when I was young, uh, the, the, the Chevrolet dealer was Cobb Motor Company, and they only sold Chevrolets. Uh, the, the selling of automobiles was different then. The dealers did not have 10 or 12 or 14 brands. They would usually have one or two brands. I know the Pontiac Cadillac dealership in Goldsboro was matched. Uh, I'm trying to remember what Oldsmobile was matched with now. I think it was something separate, but Buick was separate. Scott Motor Company. I'm just using my hometown as an example. You would want to use your hometown, and we might see if we can come up with a pretty good list of the Raleigh dealers. Uh, Sir Walter Chevrolet used to be the only Chevrolet dealer. They still are a Chevrolet dealer. But uh, there were Chrysler products. There were Ford products. There were GM products. And, of course, the American automobile industry loomed a lot larger because there weren't any Japanese automobiles. There weren't, really to speak of, many European models. The Volkswagen appeared, I think, sometime in the 50s. Uh, And uh, a few other European models. Uh, But... uh, Rack your memory and see if you can remember the the dealers. And they were – I got the idea of thinking about this. There, There's a, uh actor-slash-academic man. He worked in the Nixon administration as an economist. He's pretty well known. His name is Daniel Stein. And if you saw the movie Ferris Bueller's Day Off, he played a school teacher in that. And if you ever watched the program The Wonder Years, he was one of Kevin's school teachers. He has a very dry sense of humor and – and he just speaks in a very low voice, and he's very, very fixed. But uh, I read an article about him. He, he was fairly successful. He made some money, had some money to begin with, and made some more. And he, his wife wanted him to buy a new car, and he had just bought a car two years before. And he didn't want to buy a new car. He liked this one because it was big enough that he could get his dogs, and he, had, he likes dogs, and he liked to take them down to the beach and let them run. But his wife wanted him to buy a new car. Now, in the days of yore, if you bought a new car, a lot of people bought a new car if they could afford it every two or three years. Now, if you had one that only lasted two or three years, you would probably sue somebody. I think the average, uh, they say now, for an automobile is 12 years. And, and a lot of uh, manufacturers sort of expect to get 15. And I think I've got one that is going on 15, and it's doing pretty well. Uh, it's, a, it's a Toyota, by the way. Uh, but uh, uh, but that's one of the cars that was not back there. But the cars, when you go out and look at them of a certain kind, a certain level, they all look the same. And in the days of yore, uh, they all look different. There was a styling question: Where do you, where do you, do you put fins on the car? And I can remember the Desoto had a had a thing on the the taillights that, that stuck out above the fins, and it, it was like a gunshot. I mean, uh, the, what am I trying to say? The thing where you aim the, the gun. and uh, But uh, that was on a DeSoto, a car that disappeared. There have been a lot of changes, but if, did you have a DeSoto? Uh, did you have a Jeep? The, the, the Jeeps have told. So want to explore a little bit your memories of, if you have any nostalgia for uh well, my dad had a 57 Chevrolet at one point, and he sort of ran it into the ground. But they say that most people who have a wide knowledge of the automobile industry in America, if you ask them to name their favorite car, they will name the 1957 Chevrolet. And it was until some of the Asian cars came out, the biggest-selling car in American history, that particular model 
by the 1957 model. And automobiles were restyled, not completely, but to some extent almost every year. And the and this was the thing that Daniel Stein pointed out. Yeah, he began to think when his wife wanted him to go buy a new car that when he was young, he grew up someplace in Maryland. In fact, he and Goldie Hawn went to the same high school at the same same time, somewhere near Washington, because his father was in government work. And uh, when you bought a new car, everybody on the block came down and wanted to see your new car. They saw it parked out in front, and it was like a time to have a, a picnic or a barbecue or something and see the new car. And cars usually were introduced in the fall, in September or October. And sometimes there would be a big deal about going to the dealership. And in, in the front where all the glass was, you could see the car under a canvas. They, they, it would be revealed to you on Tuesday you know, or something like that. Did you ever remember doing that? Getting a new car was a bigger deal than it is now. Of course, they, they have proliferated. And, and, I, and I got to thinking when I was thinking about this, I talked to a lady on the phone in the middle of my waxing uh, ecstatic about the memories of cars and, and we ended up talking about getting in a car and running away you know just get out go out someday and die, drive and she talked about going uh driving to to boone north carolina to the mountains to the blue ridge just just you know got tired of it just to get away with it and and i know i make make short trips there are times when i just need to get away with it and a lot of time i drive to my hometown which is only 50 miles but it is a world away because it's not even my hometown anymore. It doesn't even look like it. And, of course, I don't live there anymore. I live here. But uh, And when I go to Charlotte to see my brother, I go on a, a North Carolina highway, 2427, not the interstate, not 85, not 40. Uh, not, uh, sometimes I go on 6449. 64 is a, is a U.S. highway, and 49 is a North Carolina highway. A man named William Least Heat Moon, Part Indian, wrote a book called Blue Highways. He went around America driving two places and exploring them on the regular U.S. highways, the ones that were not limited access, not the interstate highways. And uh, producing, in fact, he started his journey in Greenville, North Carolina, as a matter of fact. Uh, I recommend that book to you sometime. He went all over the country. It's called Blue Highways because on the maps, uh, the highways that he was driving on, the regular U.S. highways, U.S. 1 would be an example of this, or 401, or 17 along our coast, or 64. That's not an interstate road. Some of these roads have limited access, but most do not. But one of the rules for the interstates means limited access, and that is you have to be, you can't come right out of your front driveway right onto the highway. You have to go down and go on to it at a particular junction or whatever. So do you have you taken a Blue Highway trip? National Geographic did a story one time. I think it may have taken a couple of issues, but somebody drove from Key West to Eastport, Maine on US-1. The US-1 runs up the entire East Coast. Okay, there it is. Now, we've got Anthony uh, from Broadway on the line. We're going to take a break, and I would like for you to, to join him. We'd like, I'd like for you to share some of your memories with us tonight. Uh, if you are nostalgic, please join us at 919-860-9783. Nine twenty one at News Radio 680 WPTF. And also next week, we're going to have a nostalgia show either on Wednesday or Thursday. 
it is scheduled for the State of the Union address to be Tuesday night of next week. And Monday night, I plan to have our annual The Day the Music Died show dedicated to the memory of Buddy Holly and his associates who were killed in 1959 in an airplane crash, one of our traditions. But uh, one night, I was thinking we might do nostalgia, and uh, I read something. I mentioned it last night, uh, and we might see what you think about it, uh, uh, and that is the, the question of, have we got too much stuff? John John Sauter and I were talking about this during the break, uh, and I was telling him that Clark Howard, his, I heard him say years ago that his house had like 3,700 square feet, and that's a pretty good-sized house. I think that's just him and his wife and a couple of kids, but it's full, and so Mrs. Howard wants to go out and rent some space, and he thought when you get to that point, you ought to get rid of something, and that is the contention of people in our society is that Americans generally have got too much stuff. What do you think about that? And also, John, we, we ought to see if we can find out. I'll see if I can find out about this. Uh, in April every year, there's a group of people who sponsor nationwide one week with no TV. You just don't turn the TV in, don't watch TV one week. I, they don't say anything about radio, so we might could live with it. We can't have, a, have them not turning the radios off, but... But uh, this started a number of years ago, and I've always thought maybe we ought to at least talk about it. Right now we're going to talk about tonight's uh, approach to nostalgia about uh, earlier versions of the automobile and their effect on American society with uh, the philosopher of uh, Broadway, Anthony. Good evening. I appreciate that, Tom. I just promoted you there is what I did. So good. Uh, You were talking about stuff. I've got a lot of stuff in here. My brother says get rid of it. I said, man. That was a lot of hard work that went into that stuff, but uh, that's for another nostalgia day. Well, I thought you were going to defend something that I know you have a lot of, and I'm with you. I understand, and I'm just let me make my point. And we're not going to fall out over this, but you were going to say you got a lot of books, and I've got a lot of books, but I've got so many that I can't find the book I want to look something up in. Do you you see what I'm getting at there? There's there there comes. Uh, Comes to be I a have point. been there, done that. Yeah, and, and I, 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 we about ten years ago, I, I winnowed. I think that's the right word. I cleaned out about half of them, and and it's it's coming up to another cleaning out time. So, uh, but anyway, what's on your mind tonight? Well, one of the first automobiles I remember was not one I bought. Is one my parents had. It was a '56 Ford. Okay, and. When my mother, she's the primary driver of this car, when we went to town, which was Sanford, my brother would sit in the front uh, passenger seat, and I would sit dead center behind. And the the thing of it was, uh, back then they had nothing like uh, booster seats or uh, uh, other stuff like um, uh, seat belts. None of that was in this car. It's like, man, you're... You're taking a chance on going from point A to point B. Well, That's now let's let's go back for the young people. You're an old history teacher, and remind people who are listening this. They won't believe it, by the way, but the, you had a board seat in the front. You know, no bucket seats. Uh, right. Uh, that didn't really on on. A, I think it was really Mustang that really sort of. They didn't have the first one, but they're the one in it, that introduced that in popular cars. Uh, but yeah, my uh, mom was into four door automobiles. She didn't like that two door model. And you would get in the back and close the door, and you know she'd say, "All right, lock it." And uh, to town we went. 
Well, that that was a coupe or a coupe is what somebody in my own town called it. But it was a coupe, but it was you had to push the seat forward, you know, to get in behind it. I don't even know if they make that kind of a car anymore. But um, the word was I remember reading when I started reading about cars that the sedan, the one with the four doors, was uh, because it had more of a frame was more more likely to be safe and also to to live a lot longer rather than a coupe or something like that. Uh, but uh, the, I'm, what I'm saying is they they would agree with your mother that that was the car that she wanted. But now, my uh, dad didn't get a car until much later, but he had a the first truck I remember he had was a '53 Chevrolet. Okay, and I know. it had something called a starter button. You had to mash that along with the gas to get this thing cranked. And of course, later on when he bought a Ford 1964, that had been phased out. All you got to do is put the key in. Crank it and go. Okay, let's go back a second now. Okay, you said a starter button. Now, did yeah, you? It's, did, it's did, on the floor. Uh, oh, okay. Wait. All right. I want to make sure. We, we, I was talking with someone recently about this. If you to crank that thing, you had to learn how to get your right foot on the gas pedal and the starter at the same time. That that he did. Yeah, that's what he you did. have to. But you should. And 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 if you do that. But even before that, occasionally you would have to push a button on the dashboard uh, to to start it, and there might be a manual choke there that you had to operate. Now, I've ridden in school buses that were like 1953 models that had exactly what you were talking about, that choke. You had to pull it out and uh, give it the gas and then get it going, yeah. With the introduction of uh, fuel inj- injection, one of the things that, that new generations don't know about uh, and, and that we, we have maybe forgotten about is the cold morning when you go out and you sit in the car and you pump the, the gas pedal four or five times. You hold your mouth right and pray. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean, don't you? It I might, it you might work. <laughs> but, exactly. But now you, all you have to do is turn. The, you don't have to touch the accelerator. In fact, you shouldn't. You because when you turn the uh, the ignition switch, uh, w- which is attached to the key, uh, the electric fuel pump pushes the gas in there, and, you, and, uh, and you're okay. Uh, but that's now, also why you can no longer push. Have you ever pushed a car off? I have not done that. No. No. Uh, well, if you were poor like me and you had bad batteries and stuff, you sometimes parked on a hill just so you could make sure you got home. If you know what I mean. So. Gotcha. Well, my one of my aunts had a 53 Chevrolet. She kept that for 10 years, and one day we're coming from town, and we hit this uh, railroad track on Broadway Road, and the uh, the car kind of rattled a little bit. She said, looked at me and says, time to buy a new one, and she went and got a new one. Was it a Chevrolet or something like that? Uh, she went and got a Buick. She got a Buick. Okay, well. I don't think my father ever had a new car. I know he didn't, but he always had used cars. And if he was doing fairly well, he'd have a used Buick. But if he wasn't doing that well, he would have a used Chevrolet. And we had a, the, the the early Chevrolets in the 50s were called Fleetline. The back was a sloping back. You know, it went uh, straight down to the to the uh, um, to the to the bumper, sort of like I think. Uh, what is the Swedish car that's supposed to be very safe? Uh, uh, oh, goodness, I don't know. Oh, I, I can't. I, I, for, I have a block against this particular car, <laughs> but uh, in any event, uh, it was, sort of looked like it. Well, we're going to have to go, 
Anthony, got because news headlines. Okay, news headlines right here. Thank you. Yes, sir. It's good to talk with you, Tom. And the following is a pre-recorded program. Nine thirty-three. Tom Kearney here. We're here every night, Monday through Friday. Tomorrow night, uh, my brother Stephen, who usually is with us on most Friday nights, we're going to, uh, and he's the brains of the outfit, going to to say who we think is going to win the Oscars. Um, about 20 years ago, George Brody, who preceded Stephen in the Friday night assignment, uh, laid out the people that he thought. And somebody in an office somewhere in Raleigh bet them in the office pool and and. George was having a good night that night, so they, they won. And Stephen is taking up the torch. I don't know that he's done that good, but uh, if you'd like to sample our particular views and be a part of the program, you can join us tomorrow night here on News Radio 680 WPTF. And Monday night will be the anniversary of the day the music died. Buddy Holly, the Big Bopper, Richie Valens. And uh, we like to remember Buddy Holly. I, I personally think that he was... After Elvis Presley and Fats Domino, as important as any person, and one of the people that the, the Beatles patterned themselves after. But anyway, listen Monday night and see what you think. 9.34 now, and an old friend of ours from the the neighborhood of Cameron Village, and I don't want to get any closer to, to, than that. Uh, it would be Please don't. Unfair. Somebody from the NSA or the CIA may be listening. And right, that's exactly I, I don't want them to... Uh, uh, to get too too good of a bead on me. I don't want them to find out where you are. Now, something I've well, got to coach you on is when you come on the air, you don't have to do it before then, is to turn the radio down a little bit so it doesn't be a distraction to you. But uh, you have uh, landed on one of the popular cars of, of, of the days of yore. We're talking 55, 50, 58 years ago, the Shelby Mustang. Well, you know, when, when I've... Got my license in '67. I went um, went up to Fayetteville and uh, bought a '66 Shelby GT Mustang fastback, high performance uh, car. And um, you know, when that was my touring car, I'd love to just take that car out on the road. And and when I would have some time in the summer. Uh, where, you know, there wasn't a whole lot to be done on the farm and I could get away for, you know, a week, 10 days, two weeks or whatever. I would throw some camping gear in, in that uh, fastback and um, throw my guitar in there. Oh, my goodness. How romantic is this guy here? He's... And would strike out on the road with no particular place to go. <laughs> just Just going out traveling around. And uh, I, I usually didn't take much money with me because, you know, I'd, I'd find some little little town that had a do drop in, you know, generally a mill town, you know, cotton okay, mill town. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. And uh, by the time they were getting off work around five thirty, six o'clock or whatever, and um, I'd, I'd give them a little bit of time to get a few beers in them before I'd come in. And I would ask the proprietor if I could uh, throw my hat out on the table and play and sing for tips. And um, generally, he'd say yeah, and oftentimes would give me a, a pitcher of beer. So I, I would do that when I needed gas money. Okay, or, okay, Ed, stop. We can only go so far with this. So i got to ask you, 
And, okay. and, and don't you go far with this, Eden. I just remember this is a family program, but did you meet any chicks like this? Well, of course. <laughs> I just, just want, now, we, we need to go back because this program can profess to be on some points educational, and one of the reasons for, for talking about the past with people who know about it. And what we're talking about here is a Mustang, which you're really in the first full year of the Mustangs when you get the Shelby Mustang, but it, a Shelby Mustang is a standard Mustang that has been modified, is, as I recollect. Uh, customized. Customized yeah. by the Shelby yeah. people. It, it, you know, mine, like most of the Shelbys, uh, had a little bit wider uh, wheel stance. Yeah, okay. We built a little bit lower to the ground, uh, mainly for balance purposes, um, kind of like um, uh, Bullet's uh, uh, Mustang. Uh, or, you know, the, the Shelby's back then, whether it was a Cobra or a GT. I couldn't afford a Cobra. I, I'd love to have had a Cobra, but I couldn't afford that. Um, but, um, yeah, you know, they were they were modified quite a bit. Um, but you, well, now, would you like to have that car back? Car. Uh, pardon? Would you like to have that car back now? I'd love to have it. Okay. I really would. Um, I, you know, I wish I'd never gotten rid of it. Well, that, that's that's and they sold a lot of Mustangs, not necessarily Shelby's, but it did all right. But I can remember they they seemed to be everywhere all of a sudden. And uh, they they were. I mean, it, the 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 Mustang and um, what was the the Camaro were um, yeah they they competed against each other back in that era. Well, that was one of the first times that I think that I remember in my lifetime that the American automobile community stepped back, and that is they kept building cars bigger and bigger. In fact, they did that through about the about 1980. But after the the big gas crunch in the early 70s, they realized that uh, they needed to to build smaller cars too, and that's when the Japanese cars arrived too, right right in there because yeah. they they offered and, that already. And for a while. Uh, Ford just completely must, messed up the Mustang. I guess it was around 75, 76 when they made it smaller and they put like a, you know, some of them even had four-cylinder motors in them. They almost, uh, they almost gave up on it, to tell you the truth. And then they got, they got, they got the message and they came back with it. And, uh, and there are really two periods of, and there's probably somebody in our audience who knows a lot more about it than I do, but of, of what you might call a classic Mustang. But you're right; they just about just about screwed it up when they oh, when they, they well they did. I mean, they they completely messed them up for a long time. But it was I guess what maybe twelve twelve years or so ago. Yeah. Well, when they they made the first kind of retro Mustang. Right. And then they, you know, they started making them high-performance uh, Mustangs like uh, like they used to be. And, and now you see them all over. Right. Well, I had a 61 Buick. Uh, it wasn't 61, and, but it was like 66 or something. But it was a small Buick, but it was a really nice-sized nice car. And they phased it out and went for those boats, you know, those land yachts that they, they made if yeah, if you want to see some of them, watch the Rockford Files. Sometimes he, oh yeah, he has the yeah. only sensibly sized car in those those TV shows. All the rest of them kind of lean over when they come around the corner because the, there's so much of them. But uh, I tell you, a car that I would really like to have 
is a, um, a 1936 Buick uh, that had the, um, gosh, it had like a big V8 engine in it. Okay, and now was it a... ordered a super glide transmission. Right, something that, that was close to being an automatic. But you said a V8. I was I thought you... One Sunday when I worked at a filling station, I never was good enough to work at a service station, but a guy came in in a 48 Pontiac, and it was a straight eight, and I'm just glad that I saw it, you know, the engine. You know what I mean? Yep. Because it was long, and most of them, you know, by that time, they, they for compactness or whatever, they were looking for the V8 or something. I did not know for a long time that Chevy didn't put a V8 on the road until 1955. Did really? You, yeah, I know Ford started in 32, and, and some of the other GM models had V8s, but Chevrolet, they had a basic six that everybody loved, and they stayed with it until the early 50s. Uh, you know what I've got? The the, the, the revenue, the moonshiners, you know, they love those uh, those late, uh, mid to late 30s and, and early 40s Buicks uh, that, uh, that had, I mean, they had a, big V8 in them, uh, and they could, yeah, they could work on them, and uh, they could pretty much outrun about anybody. We're going to have to quit here, but I, I got to sit in and change gears in one time. It hadn't been operated for 30 years, but a 1938 LaSalle, which was kind of like a fancy Buick. Oh, uh, that was, it that was, was a beautiful car. It was a Hearst is what it was. <laughs> But uh, uh, it belonged to a funeral director in, in Goldsboro, and it was in storage. And I, I got, one of my friends worked for them. And I, but anyway, it, it was what they used in addition to Cadillacs to make Hearst out of. Ed, I had a, a client in South Carolina, a very good client, as a matter of fact, uh, Joe Schaefer. He was part of um, South of the Border and had Palmetto Petroleum, all kinds of stuff. But anyway, he was a car collector, and he had a 1936 Packard limousine. Yep. That was absolutely a beautiful car, and I talked him into uh, 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 taking it out one day, and we rode down to his beach house in that thing, and and it was, you, you cannot feel the road, Tom. Well, Packard, until the early 50s, Packard sort of went from being a creditable luxury car, a competitor for Cadillac or whatever, to just not being there at all. Uh, I, I know. I don't know what happened to it, really. When, when they got mixed up with Studebaker, and I don't know what happened to it either. I'm not blaming anybody, but it did almost disappear within about five years. I, we need to go, Ed. Okay, Tom. Okay. Thank you, Ed. It was a pleasure as always. I hope you dream of Shelby uh, uh, Mustangs tonight. Okay. You know, every once in a while I do. Okay. <laughs> Tom Kearney here talking to our friend Ed. We are remembering automobiles from the days of yore, and we, we are open to you now. We're like the barbershop right now. When you go to the barbershop, you know, when I was young, you'd go and it would be a sign saying, all chairs open, and it, it, no, it means you could sit down in any one. They were not that busy that day, and you could go to the front, usually – the 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 best barber I think ended up being in the first chair or the one that they imagined or the one who had been there the longest. I, I don't really know. I still go to a barber shop. I haven't uh, shifted over to whatever. I'm not going to say anything else, but I'm I'm that old fashioned. But it's the Man Moore Barber Shop where I've been going for forty 
seven years now over on Hillsborough Street where a lot of wolf packers go because it's right across from the campus. But they still are reasonably priced. And uh, But anyway, uh, so much for barbershops. Tell us about your involvement with the automobile. Uh, what what was your first car? What was the one that you remembered? And we've done this with muscle cars, but tonight this is just your your car that you maybe dreamed of. My next door neighbor, uh, a guy my age, we were in the same high school class. He just he, he got a fifty six Ford. Somebody mentioned one tonight that, that his mother had a fifty six Ford, and he got one that had a had one of those knobs on the steering wheel that, that you could turn. Uh, it's a suicide thing is what I think they called it, but he. His dreams came true, and he got that automobile. And the automobile, it lets you get away from home. It um, uh, was sometimes a sex symbol, uh, et cetera. So it, it's a big part of American life. Uh, but if you have an automobile story or a memory, if you are nostalgic about a particular involvement with an automobile, dial us up at 919-860-9783, 860-WPTF. 950 at News Radio 680 WPTF. Tom Kearney. As usual, we've got three calls now. Everybody's waited till the end. Should call early. But in any event, we'll do the best we can, and we'll do that by going down to Winders. Isn't that right, Curtis? Winders? That's right. Winders, Georgia. And do you listen you listen on the internet, don't you? That's right. Most time I sometimes I pick up regular radio, most time internet. I'll be I'll be brief. The first new car my dad bought was a nineteen fifty Chevrolet. And back then, cars were hard to find. And uh, he bought it from a dealer in Raleigh, and I guess they're still in business. Sir Walter Chevrolet. They are still in business. As a matter of fact, I mentioned them earlier. Was it a Fleetline Chevy or, you know, with it, a sl- it was a, yeah, four, it was a four-door sedan. Okay. All right. It was really a really beautiful car. And then the first new car I ever bought was a 1955 Chevrolet Bel Air. Ooh, a nice car, a nice car. My uncle had one of those, and... Uh, they had some of those had big engines in them. Just one point right after the war, it took them three or four years to get back in full production, you know, because GM and Ford and all those people had gone over to making war, you know, tanks and things like that and, and Jeeps. So it took them a while to, to get back. I used to have a car uh, that was a Chevy, it was a, a coupe, but it was listed as a 46, but it was actually a 41. It was made from the same dyes, you know, they, they, hadn't, they hadn't been able to change things yet. Well, I'm always glad to know that you're there, Curtis, and you have connections to Raleigh, I know, and listen when you can, okay? Okay, I sure will, and I'll enjoy listening to you, Tom. Take care. Thank you. Winders, Georgia. I was proud of myself for remembering how to pronounce that. Let's see. This is Riley. Riley, we talked to you night before last, but you it's good to have you back. Uh, what's on your mind tonight? A couple of things, Tom. Number one, uh, your caller before the break uh, was talking about a 36 Buick. That would have been a straight eight, not a V8. Okay. Eight. All right. That's... And it would have been a three-speed transmission. Power Glide was a introduction of a two-speed uh, automatic transmission in Chevrolet right after the war. Uh, basically, it was two speeds forward and, and one in reverse. But Power Glide was the kind of the code name for Chevrolet's automatic transmission. I can remember seeing it uh, on a plate on the back, right around the license plate or someplace Correct. like that. Correct. Uh, but but it would have been a straight uh, straight eight uh, in the 30s, and they were very powerful engines. It was a great car. Great car. Right. Well, I, you heard me say that I had seen a – I actually pulled the hood up and looked at a straight eight on a – I think it was a 48 Pontiac, and that was a powerful-looking thing to me. But uh, It was. It, it was, and – 
and General Motors uh, had uh, produced a number of them in their various lines. Um, but basically, um, your caller had uh, mentioned a V8 in uh, 36 on a Buick, and right. it was a straight 8. Right. Um, but anyway. I, I, yeah, I I didn't know for years, and then then I uh, we, we got one more caller. I want to see if I can work that person sure. in. But I did not know that it took – I think the 55 Chevy was the first Chevy that had a standard V8 in it. They Correct. Had, Correct. If I, if I, but my grandfather had a Ford got a, got to him early and like uh, he had a thirty four Ford that was a V eight and they they already had it a couple of years before that. Uh, thir- Nineteen thirty two was the first Ford for- V eight and they ran the same flathead Ford V eight until fifty three, uh, and then they went to overhead valve. When they got something that worked, they they didn't try to fix it, huh? <laughs> well, <laughs> twenty years. I mean, uh, <laughs> you know, it, if it works. Don't don't mess don't, don't mess with it. That, yeah, that's that's what I was trying to say, Riley. I'm, I'm going to call you up, and we'll have to talk about uh, Model Ts and Model As sometime before long. Okay. Take care. Thank you, Riley. You're welcome. Riley is a member of the classic car. Uh, I don't. I never get the name right, but he knows about his automobiles, and so we can count on that. Shane, come back. Yeah. Tell Tom, us how about. You doing? I'm doing fine. Tell us about the Packard. We've got about two minutes. Yeah, uh, talking about them Packers, my daddy had a 1955 model, uh, Karen B. style, two-door Packard. Yes. Green and white. And uh, one thing I want to uh, interject into the conversation here is uh, in them PT boats back in World War Two. Yes. That's what kind of engines they use in them PT boats was Packard engines. I, I did not know that, but but if he had a fifty-five, that was just about. It wasn't the last year, but I think like fifty-eight was the last year they made a Packard. Or, right, right, right. Yeah, but uh, that's what engine they used in them PT boats. You that was made out of plywood anyway. Right, the PT boat was made out of plywood. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Well, they were shucking and jiving to get that stuff made because the war came on and they weren't, you know, totally prepared. So they were doing making stuff out of whatever they had and you know repurposing things. And yeah, and, you just like them uh, landing craft boats over there in uh, Normandy and all that. Yes, they were made in New Orleans. They were made out of wood, and the only thing metal was on the front when the hats dropped down to pull up to the beach. Yeah, what do they call them? Hig- Higgs boats, Higgins boats, or something like yeah, that. Yeah, that's right. I think that's right. I'm, I'm showing off now, yep. Shane. Yep. <laughs> well, thank you for joining us tonight. It's about time for us to to get in our boat uh, and and put put over to the other side now. But thank you for joining us tonight, Shane. Okay, Tom. I okay. appreciate it, man. Anytime. All right, bye. And um, it worked out all right. We had some memories. We joshed some memories up uh, and. Uh, were able to be nostalgic, and people remembered, uh, as Shane did, the Packard, I think, that he said is either his dad or his uncle had, and uh, and Ed had fond memories of that Shelby Mustang that back there that he, he would like to have back uh, uh, now. But that's what that was the object of our nostalgia program tonight, was something to do with the automobile culture and remembering it. And I, I remember when we used to go to church uh, when I was a kid, I would... Uh, See if I could name all the cars just by looking at them. And they weren't like now where they basically all look the same, whatever. Particularly, they looked like they were all styled after Mustang, uh, not Mustangs, Mercedes, and uh, even the, the Japanese cars. But it's been good. Tomorrow night, Stephen, my brother, will be here, and he will tell you who he thinks is going to win the Oscars. 